some of you know that my wife and I gave birth to our third child uh, about three weeks ago. Yeah, her name is uh, her name is Olivia Grace. This is a picture of her. Yeah, she looks just like her sister. Uh, I forgot how small these kids come out. Uh, but Xander and Mia are doing great with uh, having a little sister. And, uh, you know, the, a couple of days ago, we, we all went for a walk together. And it reminded me of this walk that uh, we had all taken a few years ago. Uh, we had taken, my wife and I took about five years ago. Um, I, my oldest daughter is going to be five next week. And we, uh, when my wife was seven months pregnant with, uh, with my daughter Mia, we decided to go for a walk. Um, and we mu- it was one evening, so we must have been walking. We must have been close to a mile and a half, two miles from our house. When she started feeling dizzy and nauseous, and, um, and I asked if there's anything I could do. So we just kind of sat down, and, uh, and I'm like, listen, is there anything I can do for you? She says, Mom, I, I hate to ask this of you, but I think I need you to go get the car to, uh, to pick me up. Because, I mean, I just feel, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I feel very dizzy. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You do know it's like two miles away. Yeah, but no problem. You're pregnant. I'll do whatever you need. So anyway, so I decide that um, I just tell her to sit down and wait for me. And I start running as fast as I can, right? I mean, like, it's like Forrest Gump, run, Forrest, run, as fast as I can. Um, and, and so I get probably about a mile from, I mean, I've probably, I've probably gone about a mile. Interestingly enough, I start feeling dizzy and nauseated. Um, and so I get to, and we get into our development, and I'm still running. I want to stop because I think I'm going to throw up. But I just keep going because, you know, my wife is pregnant. She's waiting for me. You know, I've got the, you know, the dun, 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 I got the Rocky music in, the, in my head. So I'm running as fast as I can. I mean, obviously I have my keys because we left. So I get in, get to our driveway. I open the door, hop in my car and, uh, and, and pull out. And then I go, um, the, it's kind of, I, I live kind of like a, one block from the, the entrance to our, um, to, to our uh, development. And I pull up to the development and who, who shows up? My wife walking. And, I, and so she hops in and I say, what are you doing here? And, in another, and it's more importantly, um, how did you get here so fast? And she said, well, a few minutes after you left, but I started to feel better. So I just walked. Which led me to my next question. How slow do I run? That a slow walking pregnant woman was only one block behind me. And uh, you know, <laughs> now I don't know if you've ever had that that you have ever been there in, in that moment, in a situation where you were grossly unprepared for the, the challenge that was before you. You needed to be ready, and maybe you weren't. Um, for some reason, you hadn't prepared. And when the moment came to act, you weren't ready to take action. Um, I, I will tell you this, though. Having our third child is so different than having your first. How many of you have more than one? Can I ask you that? Oh, a lot of you. So you know this. Um, if you have, you know, when we have, we, we have three now, when we, when my daughter was born, we freaked out about everything. When my son was born, we freaked out about some things. Now we really forgot about anything because we're pretty much convinced these kids are made of rubber as it is, you know. Um, but when, when my daughter was born, we were so nervous. I mean, we had even talked to the nurses, like, could you guys come by just for like a couple hours and just wean us off this care you've been giving to us? Because we really feel like having that third person to help with the baby. Because, you know, we had no idea. We're first-time parents. We took Mia um, home. 
And you know how when the kids are in the hospital, they have that like ankle bracelet? I think it's to prepare them for house arrest later on in life. Um, but anyway, so kids, they, they have that ankle bracelet and then, you know, they just say, oh, cut it off when you get home. So fine. So we get home and I tell Carrie, I said, well, let's um, let's let's cut it off. So I said, you, you hold me and I'll I'll cut the thing off because apparently this is a two man job. You know, I mean, now you do it with one hand, baby and scissors in one hand and you do it. But anyway, back then it was a two person job. And uh, I'm like, all right. You hold her, and then I'm gonna cut, and I'm, I'm being so careful, cause I just, whatever I don't wanna do, I just don't wanna cut her with a pair of scissors. I don't want the first thing that I do when I get home as a dad is, so what happened when you brought me home? Well, we cut you with a pair of scissors, but then we glued it back on, and whatever, you know, your toes were fine, or whatever. So, I said, alright, you hold her, and then we'll cut it, and so, I'm so focused on making sure that I don't cut her with the scissors, that I end up squeezing her toes with the back of the scissors, the handle. So I'm like, she's screaming, and I'm like, this shouldn't hurt. And then I realize, like, oh, I'm crushing her toes. Um, so she starts crying, Carrie starts crying, I start crying, and we're like, are we ready for this? Are we ready? You know, and, 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 and I'm I don't know, do you? Yeah, it's just madness, right? It's total madness. And uh, because there are moments in life, circumstances in life, situations in life that are just so big, so mammoth, so giant in nature that we, we wonder if we can overcome them. You see, some of you came in this morning and you came in and you didn't tell anybody this, but listen, internally, there is a financial giant that you're facing in your life. Some of you came in and there's a, a health, a physical challenge, but that, that health issue is the giant that you're facing right now. There are some that came in, and listen, there is a relational giant, a relationship giant that you're facing. Some, it's a career or a vocational giant that, that you're facing. But listen, there are habits, addictions, setbacks, failures, emotions that can be giants in our lives that seek to simply wipe us out completely. And listen, there's a question that all of us have asked. If you have ever come into contact or been up against a giant, a circumstance, a difficulty that's much bigger than you could possibly imagine. And the question that we ask is, how do you kill the giant? How do you slay the giant? How do you overcome the giant and listen and live the victorious life that Jesus offered to us? He said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. But how does that happen? The challenge that we have there is that Jesus told us He came to have, give us to have life to the full, but He never told us it would be easy. In fact, He told us just the opposite of that. In your notes, in, for, in uh, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus would say this, These things I have spoken to you that in Me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So if we're going to talk about killing giants, there's really only one place in the Bible to go. We've got to go to the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open it uh, to 1 Samuel 17. Those of you that are following along on your smartphone or whatever, open that up, get to 1 Samuel 17. And now, I'll be honest, listen, the challenge with teaching a series like this and starting a series like this that we're calling Giant Killer is that most of us know the story. Right. Even, you know, unless you're like a really, 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 really new Christian and you don't know a lot about the Bible. Let me just give you a spoiler alert. David kills Goliath. OK. All right. That's just what happens. Five smooth stones goes into the valley, sinks one right in the head. And then he, the Goliath falls back. David takes Goliath's sword and cuts off his head. That's pretty much what happens. Now, 
But you say, well, so I've already heard the story. I mean, what are you going to say that I haven't heard before? I mean, we know the story. We know how it ends. We've heard it in many different ways. And, how, you know, I've even saw the veggie tales where David kills the pickle. And, you know, so how do you, how do you, how do you, you know, how, what are we going to do? But see, here's what I want to do. What I want to do is not so much just tell you the story of David and Goliath. I want to tell you the backstory of David and Goliath. I want to tell you the story behind the story. Because it's the story that many times doesn't get told. Because there is a reason that David was victorious in the Valley of Elah that day. In fact, there were three factors, three keys, three untold stories in David's life that need to be told if we're going to unlock the key to killing the, the, the Goliaths, the giants, in your life and in mine. So I'm going to do something really odd today if I can. Usually you start a series, you start at the beginning of the story, second week you do the middle of the story, third week you do the end of the story. What I want to do is actually tell you the middle of the story. Because the middle of the story is actually what tells you the back story. Then next week we'll do the beginning and then the week after we'll do the end. But I believe it's really important for us to understand the backstory so that we understand what was happening when this story really took place. And what were these three factors in David's life? And that's what this series is going to center around. But today I want to tell you the untold story of preparation. That David killed Goliath. He killed the giant because God had been preparing David to kill the giant all of his life. And see, when the moment came, his next step was to walk into the valley and take on the giant because that was the person that God was creating him to be. And God had prepared him to be in that moment. And so we're going to look at, when it comes to preparation, three keys that were absolutely vital in David's life that directly relate to your life and in mine. That we need to develop these qualities if we want to slay the Goliaths, if we want to overcome and kill the giants that come into our lives. So I'm going to invite you to turn. It's 1 Samuel 17, but we're going to start in verse 32 is what we're going to read. Look at what it says. It says, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And David and Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are a youth. And he's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want you to know when we talk about preparation. And that is this, that preparation brings courage. Preparation brings courage. You see, one of the things that I've learned in my life is that courage is not the absence of fear. Instead, courage is taking a step in spite of the fear, because courage assumes that there is some level of fear or some level of risk. Right. I mean, most of us didn't courageously wake up and get out of bed this morning. Right? even though I know some people, you know, if you're married, they ask, you know, do you wake up grumpy? They say, no, I just let them sleep. Um, 
You'll get that later at lunch. Um, I promise. Uh, right? Like most of us, we didn't courageously eat dinner last night. Well, I guess depending on what you ate, it's possible. Um, I won't ask how many did because some guys might raise their hand because it's more of a rhetorical question. If I ask and you answer, it becomes more of an IQ question. Um, but anyway, but listen, the only way that we build courage is by being courageous. Watching someone else, their courage doesn't build, build ours. Uh, you know, hearing someone else's stories doesn't build, build, our, build our courage and, and prepare us. It's kind of, you know, in many ways, it's like working out. Now, can I tell you that um, my guilty pleasure, if I can tell you this, is I love watching those ESPN strongman competitions. Anybody like those? Um, not like, not the ones where they're like, oh, this guy's going to lift 400 pounds. Who cares about that? I want to know, this guy's going to lift the Honda Civic. That's what I'm interested in. I like that. And, the, you know, it's like this guy's got to rip this giant 18-wheeler tire with his bare hands. And, um, you know, anyway, it's like, um, it's, I love watching this, these, like, feats of strength that these guys do. But I've got to be honest with you. It's, I've never, like, you know, gotten cut because of watching them lift stuff, you know. I don't watch a guy bench press a tree trunk and then as I'm sitting on my couch with a Coke and a bag of Doritos, feel like, whoa, I'm ripped. You know, it doesn't happen because watching someone else doesn't do it. Courage is built. Listen, when I take a step, trust God, take a deep breath and say, I'm going to go for it because my friends, courage is built daily, but it's not built in a day. Sometimes what we want to do is we want to say, well, I'm going to neglect being courageous in my daily life. Oh, but when, when Goliath comes, then I'm really going to go for it. No. You see, the more prepared we are, the more courageous we can be. Because we've been in a similar situation before. Now, let me read to you, if I can, what um, the Bible says in the beginning of this chapter about Goliath, this champion uh, of the Philistines. Here's what it says. It says, a giant nearly 10 feet tall stepped out from the Philistine line into the open, Goliath of Gath. Now, he had a bronze helmet on his head and was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of it. And he wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds and his shield bearer walked ahead of him. Now, how does David muster up the courage to want to fight this giant who could look at a guy like Shaquille O'Neal and is one of the few people that could call him Tiny? All right, what's up, Tiny? Uh, right, but how, how does that happen? Here's how. He's been in that a similar situation before. The way that we become courageous in our lives when we face the Goliaths is we realize I've been in similar situations before, but I trusted God. And when and what happened was is that when I trusted God, God came through. And so now there's a moment for me to trust God in the present. And I realize that because I've trusted God in the past and God's been faithful to me, I can be sure that if I trust God now, he will meet me where I am as I'm facing this giant. David had been in the field keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear tried to take one of the sheep, David would attack the lion, attack the bear, and kill it. Now, honestly, if we can just step back for, for a moment. Um, I'm sure David's dad, Jesse, would have understood. You know, 
David, you had 30 sheep. Now there's 28. What happened? Well, you know, there was this lion. Then his buddy, the bear, came by and they were hungry. They both took a sheep. I said, thank you, drive through. And I just got out of there. I got out of there. Okay, that makes sense. I'm just glad that you're okay. I'm sure somewhere within the financial structure of the sheep business, there's got to be a line item for loss due to accidental death or first-degree murder by the hand of another animal. There's got to be something like that. So David's dad isn't going to say anything. Certainly the sheep are not going to say anything. If David kind of lets a few go, they're not going to go, David's been a bad boy. You know, they're not, they're not going to say that. And so, but here's what happened. Instead of allowing these private moments to mean nothing, David, God used those moments in his life that these moments of private faithfulness then led to his public exaltation. In the small things, David was faithful. And then once he was faithful in the small things, David would later become the champion of Israel. The shepherd of Israel. And that's what he would call himself. Is how, how, how am I able to shepherd this great people of yours? Because he never saw himself as more than simply a shepherd. When he was a shepherd keeping the sheep, he was acting like a champion courageously. And later on in life, when the, when the stakes were much higher, he did the same thing. He operated like the champion that he was. And it's funny how, um, like, if you've if you're been around the Bible or you've been a Christian for a while, you'd recognize, you read the Old Testament, you know that David is not a common Jewish name. Um, it is now, but it wasn't back then. In fact, if you read, um, you know, like, um, you know, names like Ezekiel, Samuel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, those names with those kinds of suffixes, those are common names in Israel. Uh, those were common Jewish names at that time. That's why, because David is not necessarily a name so much as it is a title. The name David means champion. And so, in fact, if you look in the book of First Chronicles, it says that um, there was a young man by the name of Elhanan. Um, and Elhanan was the guy who killed Goliath um, the, from, from Gath, the, the Philistine. And so David's name was, was Elhanan, a common Jewish name. But what earned him the title of David, champion, was when he went into the valley and slew the giant. What allowed him to slay the giant was the preparation that God had throughout his life that now led him to that moment. And the truth is, my friends, if we run away from the everyday challenges that God gives us, we cannot expect courage to materialize when the giant shows up. If we can't trust God when the problems are small, listen, we cannot think that we're going to muster up the courage when, when the going gets tough. What David's life shows us is that preparation in the little things leads to opportunities to serve as we've been faithful. In fact, Jesus would say it this way. It's in your nose. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you now ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So here's the challenge I think that all of us have. This is what I'm asking each of us. Is to take on the lion and the bear when they come our way. You pick up a stone and you realize that the living God is with you. And if God is for you, no one can be against you. Because many of us, listen, we aren't living courageous lives because we haven't made the daily decision that build courage in our lives. That's why we have to take on the lion and take on the bear when they come our way. 
Now, obviously, the question is, I mean, well, what does that mean for me? Right? I don't live in the wild. I don't like literally see lions or bears. I mean, how do, how do I do that? Listen, if you're married, can I tell you what a lion or a bear is in your relationship? It's forgiving. It's today deciding that you're going to forgive. It's today deciding that we have to deal with this conflict that we've had. Or it's going to become something giant that we can't deal with and we can't overcome. You know, one of the things that I've learned and I've seen when it comes to marriages that end, it's usually, sometimes it is, but more often than not, it's not just one event that says, that's it, I'm done. Instead, it's the cumulative effect of a lot of little things, a lot of little conflict, a lot of things that bothered you and bothered me that we never talked about because we wanted to keep the peace. But unfortunately, the Bible says, does not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, which recognizes that there's got to be some conflict for them, for there to be some peacemaking that comes up. And so listen, because we didn't deal with the lion or the bear and say, we've got to do some hard work here to make our relationship right. Because listen, my friends, Relationships that last a lifetime are not um, relationships that have zero conflict. They're relationships that know how to deal with the conflict. And then once the conflict gets dealt with and resolved, it strengthens the relationship even more. And so what do you got to do? You've got to have the courage to forgive. You've got to have the courage to deal with the conflict when it shows up, even if it's easier just to let it go and a sheep or two get swiped. Because if not, then Goliath's going to come around. The cumulative effect of all of those lions and bears that didn't get dealt with. And that will become the straw that breaks the camel's back. Listen, in your career, can I tell you it's the same thing? It's, you know, you know, people that get involved in these big scams and schemes that take millions of dollars from people. Do you know that, that didn't, they didn't start there? It began with small ethical compromises. There were small issues of integrity that were never dealt with. There was the extra five that the cashier at Publix gave and, and, and we struggled to give it back and we didn't give it back that now led to something else and then led to something else. And listen, if we can't deal with that small issue of integrity, well, we're not going to be able to deal with the big issue of integrity well. That's why this preparation is what brings courage. There's a second thing that I want to tell you as well. And that is that preparation builds competence. It builds competence. David tells Saul, the king of Israel, I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear, and this Philistine is going to be no different. And listen, he takes in the midst of his area of expertise, he takes it and says, I understand what I can do. I can learn from this, grow from this, and become more competent in this. David's thing was, he, was a, he became a man of war. And that was from fighting the lion, fighting the bear, and then taking on the giant. Um, in the midst of everything going on in my life, I'm, I've started to work on my next book, and uh, basically a book proposal to send to publishers and all that, and, um, which reminded me of the pain of my last book. Um, uh, what, one of the things that, um, the bad part about writing books is you've got to go through this whole process of you know, sending your stuff to uh, publishing companies, literary agents, and you know, more often than not, you get rejected. And I personally am not a big fan of rejection. Anybody who's like, "Oh, I'm, I like rejection," yeah, you need medication, okay? Um, that you know, <laughs> so you may also believe in unicorns as well um, if you like rejection. Um, but I remember getting rejected by three different publishers, 
um, and a literary agent. And I remember asking them, like, what was the reason for no? And um, and I remember there was like three or four things. And, I, and I'll be honest, it was three or four common things throughout the first three publishers that said, hey, this is why we didn't do it. And the last one, it was like everything was a go until they got to like the big board thing as to how much money are we going to invest in this project. And it was like their board met. It was like five to four against, you know, and it was like we fought hard. We couldn't do it. Sorry, we're going to pass. And then I'm plotting the deaths of people that I haven't met. Um, and no, I do only in my mind, though, because I'm a Christian and I can't say that stuff out loud. Um, but anyway, but you know what happened was is that with each rejection, I, I, I started asking, saying, what was the reason? And I started reworking that proposal and rewriting. And um, there were some editing issues. So instead, before I submitted the proposal again, I sent it off to an editor, paid an editor to do some work and make me sound a lot smarter than I am. And then sent it over. Publisher number four saw it and immediately took it. But listen, I never would have gotten there had I not experienced the rejection and the challenge and the preparation of what the first three opportunities brought. And that's why, listen, the season of preparation builds our competence. And that's why, listen, God takes everything in our lives, rejection, difficult circumstances, all of that, and uses it to mature us. That's why James would say to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Because it's the testing of our faith that produces patience. So let patience have its perfect work, that you might be complete, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, David was courageous. And I want you to notice this. And he was prepared in his area of strength. His area of strength was, I fought the lion, I fought the bear. This area of battle is something that I'm, that I'm good at. And sometimes we're under this impression, I'm going to be courageous, and we jump into something that we know nothing about. We have not done due diligence. We have not really thought ahead. We've just gone headfirst into this thing, not realizing um, that, listen, that's not courage. It's a lot of stupidity, but it's not courage. Listen, um, and I, sometimes, and this over the years, I've talked to people that say, oh, I'm going to start a business because I want to be my own boss. And then they'll, I'll say, okay, great. And uh, they'll tell me about the business. I'll say, so what do you know about that business? Oh, nothing, but we're going to figure it out. So you're going to put your life savings and then some into a business you know nothing about. I mean, that's like Vegas odds, okay, um, into, in, into, this, into this thing. Um, because, listen, sometimes we think, but, yeah, I'm just going to I'm going to take a risk. Listen, courage and adrenaline are not the same thing, even though sometimes they can feel like the same thing. And we can kind of hype ourselves up and pump ourselves up to do anything and then realize after we've taken the jump, was this really a wise decision? And that's why I think it's important to note that David took a risk, but he did it in the area of his greatest competence. In fact, uh, in Proverbs chapter 22, Solomon writes, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings and not before unknown men. And this is where it gets tricky. Where it gets tricky is how do you find your area of competence? Or what if um, there's an area where I'm facing a giant, but I'm not competent? Now, competence is really, if we're going to make it an equation, um, competence equals two things. It equals my gifting and my passion You know, so it's my gifting plus my passion equals competence. So when I have gifts in a certain area and I'm passionate about that area, it will equal competence in in my life and in your life. Now, can I ask you this? How many of you are fans of American Idol? Can I ask you that? There's there's no shame here. Okay, this is a judgment free zone. So if you like American Idol, we won't judge you. Okay. All right. 
Now, I, and I know, let me say this. Uh, you know, most of us don't have Channel 7 right now. Right? How many of you don't have Channel 7? Okay. I have seen more people get hostile. I mean, this was like, it's like Occupy DirecTV right now we're experiencing. People are going crazy over not having Channel 7. But normally, right, it was, the, it was American Idol premiere. But I have friends who only watch the first three weeks of American Idol because they just want to tune in to hear people sing very poorly. And, um, and, and because it is really very sad and, all, and simultaneously extremely hilarious to watch people just give it their all and be horrible. Um, and it's very sad, I will admit. But it's also very funny, uh, you know, to just, you know, because they're like prison singers. You know, you know, you know about prison singers? They're always behind a few bars and can never find the right key. Um, that's that's kind of where they're at. And they just, sorry, sorry, that's an old, that's an old preacher joke. Um, but you can feel free to use it at lunch. Um, but anyway, but, they, you know, they've got a passion to sing, but they don't have any gifting for it, and so they're not competent. Now, if you want to be a giant killer, you've got to take risks in the area of your greatest competence. Find where your passion and your gifting meet, and then cooperate within that. Now, when I asked my wife to marry me, which uh, was a long time ago, um, the first thing I did after proposing that week, I went out, I bought, and I'm dating myself, I bought every cassette series I could on marriage uh, that I could find. Um, I bought every book that people would recommend to me. Why? Because relationships is not an area of competence for me. At least it wasn't back then. Um, in my family, every single member of my family is divorced. I'm talking about parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, some cousins. I mean, and some of them are like, you know, once, twice, three times a lady. They're going for the trifecta of, uh, you know, killing relationships. And so, you know, I don't even know. Like, I had no idea what a family getting together for dinner all together. I had no idea what that even looked like. So you mean you all like sit together at one table? And then what happens? Somebody brings out food? And then what happens? And then you all eat together? And then you watch TV? No, no, no. We talk. What? This is like all new. This is all new to me. I'd seen it on the Brady Bunch, but I'd never seen it like, you know, in real life. Once again, we're going back to the whole unicorn thing. I just thought that was like, you know, believing the families did that was like believing in unicorns. Um, and, and so, but once again, because it was not an area of competence for me, so I had to make it an area of competence for me by reading and learning and studying and talking to people, finding out what does it mean to be a godly husband? What does it mean to be a godly father? And listen, if, so if you're married or someday you want to be, you've got to read everything that you can on marriage. You've got to get with people that know about marriage. You've got to befriend people that have the kind of marriage that you want to have, that are maybe a few years ahead of you. And you're like, man, if I at 15 years, at 20 years, at 30 years, that's what I want to look like. Then listen, you've got, you've got to do that. But it's hard to have a marriage that lasts a lifetime if you won't invest in it because it never becomes an area of competence. And so listen, the, the issue is this. If you want to be victorious when the trials show up, when the giants show up, don't wait until then to get close to God. Get close to God now and be part of that. Allow God to have that season of preparation in your life where maybe there's the lion and the bear comes your way so that then when, when the giant does show up, now you're... you're, you're close to God, you know what God is like, you know His promises, and you can have peace even when the giant is yelling in your ear. Third thing 
about preparation is that preparation brings opportunities. The only reason that, I mean, do you think about this? I think about this a lot when I think about this story. David wasn't the only guy there. The king of Israel was there. And he did not want to go into the valley. The entire uh, army of Israel was there. And they were all praying, praying God send someone else other than me into the valley to, to, to fight that giant. So there's all of these guys there, but only one that we talk about. Because David's preparation intersected with an opportunity. Because he was a man of faith who was ready to act when God had called on him. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he talks about King David, and I believe what is probably the best um, eulogy or obituary that we could give of King David, it says this in Acts chapter 13. It says, after David had done the will of God in his generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors. That's all that we can hope for, is to do the will of God in our generation. You see, David had a moment, and he was ready when the moment came. And my friends, this moment that we're in right now, this is where our church is right now. We're in this moment. The, the, the moment where preparation and opportunity have intersected. Let me tell you the story. Um, a couple miles from here, there was a golf course called Rain Tree. Anybody remember Rain Tree? golf course. Yeah, a few of you. All right. Close a few years ago. Um, that's where I took golf lessons. So if you ever see me play golf poorly, it's their fault, which is probably why they closed down. And um, so anyway, it was per- the golf course um, was purchased by a company that wanted to turn it into a shopping center. So they um, they re- they take the, the clubhouse, they retrofit it into a restaurant, and then they were going to build a couple buildings on either side of the restaurant and uh, build it out as, as this uh, shopping center. And um, and they did all the land work. They got all the plans approved through the city. They actually ran power, sewer, did the environmental stuff. They actually paved the parking lot. The entire parking lot they paved. And then uh, they ran out of money. And they went into foreclosure. And the bank uh, took it over. And then the bank put the property on the market. Um, one night I'm driving to pick up a pizza. And that's why I say God bless carbs. Um, so I've never loved carbs more in my life. And, uh, but I decided to go a different way to, um, to, to get the pizza. And I see a for sale sign on a property that I've never seen a for sale sign before. Um, so I take a picture of the, the, the for sale sign and I send it to our, uh, our realtor who's been looking for properties for us for quite some time. And so I say, hey, I, I forward it to him and I say, hey, you know, call on this and see what the deal is. So we call on it and um, we, we get the opportunity to visit the property and we're like, man, this place would be perfect. Um, we pray over the property and say, let's let's make an offer. Um, we make an offer and we think it's a pretty you know strong offer. And uh, the realtor calls back and says, um, hey, thanks so much for making the offer. The problem is, is that there's someone else who made an offer before you and we decided to go with them. So, um, you know, it's just the way it goes. If anything happens, we'll let you know. But that's that. And uh, man, it was like watching the girl that you love marry somebody else. It was horrible. And uh, so needless to say, a couple of weeks go by and I have I I, I get this kind of chance meeting with a guy that is the director of a foundation that um, it's he's director of a Southern Baptist foundation that helps churches um, buy property or uh, or build uh, buildings and, and all that. And um, so him and I meet and um, 
we talk about, he's like, yeah, you guys are looking to buy some property. Yeah, you know, we're, we've been doing this blueprint campaign with our congregation, and we're trying to get prepare ourselves and get ready. Um, and he says, so is there a property? I said, well, there's a property that we like. Unfortunately, somebody else has it under contract. And he says, well, let's go see it. So I say, okay. So we go to see the property. He takes a bunch of pictures of it. And I say, listen, I see you taking pictures, but you have to understand this property, somebody else has got this one. We've got to find a different one. And he's like, well, I mean, I just, I like this kind of stuff, so I just want to take pictures of it. But you never know. And um, she says, but if anything happens, let me know. And gave me some paperwork and, and all that. Um, that was on a Friday. Um, Saturday morning, I get an email from our realtor that was a forwarded email from the bank's realtor that says, the deal fell through with the other people. The bank now wants to negotiate with you. So, yeah. So, a um, couple weeks back and forth, and uh, on Friday, I just signed my name to a contract buying three and a half acres of property, about five minutes of here. Or putting it under contract. So, yeah. Which is... Um, very exciting news. So we, you know, the contract all got worked out and all that. It's actually on the corner of uh, Pembroke Road and Hiatus. It's right behind the Miramar uh, Town Hall. So if you go down Miramar, um, uh, Miramar Park, or uh, what is it? What, what street am I talking about? If you go down Miramar Parkway um, and then you take 57th, uh, you make a left on on 57th. You follow it around. You'll see the uh, Miramar Town Hall. You can turn on hiatus right there, and it's right, it's right on the corner. It's a great piece of property. In fact, we have, you'll see the shopping center. Let me move over so all of you guys can see it. You'll see the, the blueprint that these guys had for the shopping center, and then you'll see the piece that we're, uh, Lord willing, going to purchase. And so the cool thing is you'll see that this is all, this parking lot is paved. It's done. I mean, this is like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars that has already been invested in this property that is essentially just being given to us as we, um, as we go into this. We started working with an architect this week to look at uh, what the plan could be for a, uh, an auditorium, children's ministry, youth facility, and, and all of that. And in fact, uh, we have a video of the property that we'll show you. So if you can run that. what it looks like as it stands. Um, it is basically a giant parking lot and a place to plop a building down. Um, but I want to tell you this, that um, I want to tell you two things. Number one, we started this, uh, when we started Blueprint, we, started, we announced it in October and then started it officially in November, this property was not even on the market. Um, we had no idea that it was there. Um, and uh, I'd gone that way many times and never seen a for sale sign until that day that I was uh, driving by. Uh, the other thing that I would say, too, is that um, we would, this would not even be a possibility for us. 
had we not done the hard work of preparation on the front end. And that's why this one of the things that makes us so amazing is is that this is where this, um, you know, opportunity now and preparedness meet. And now you have an opportunity to see God do something amazing. So the question is, where do we go from here? Um, and this is where we uh, this is the challenge that we have. And this is the, the great news and the challenge. Let me give you the great news and the challenge um, between our current savings and what people have already given towards Blueprint. We have two hundred and thirty thousand dollars to put for a down payment and closing costs on the property, which is fantastic, um, especially when you think about a year ago, there wasn't anything. And so now we began the process of preparation and it's this moment where now preparation and then God brings the opportunity. Um, now, the challenge for us, this is the challenge for all of us, is that it's going to take about three hundred and thirty thousand dollars to actually close on the property and then begin architectural plans and and all of that. So that means that we're going to need to raise um, about $100,000 to make this thing happen. Um, now, here, here's what I know. We've taken on the lion, we've taken on the bear, and this Goliath is going to be no different for us. We can do this. We can do this. And, um, but what it takes, what it takes is all of us stepping into the valley. Like I told you, there was a lot of people watching that day. A lot of soldiers watching, a lot of guys who had been in battle before, but only one, David, who said, I'm going to go in and do this because I believe that God has called me and gifted me for this very moment. And so I want to give four ways that each of us can be involved. Um, the first is this, is I would ask that you pray for every detail of this purchase and pray for God to give us favor with the city so we can... Um, See every detail, every every plan pass so that we can, you know, sometimes there's, you know, soft costs that come up that can really drive up the cost of, of a building. Listen, but just pray that everything comes in on schedule, everything comes in on budget, and that we, we see all the money come in that we need for to close on the property. The second thing is this, and this is maybe where it's a little closer to home for all of us. If you've already committed to Blueprint, would you consider giving a significant portion of your commitment in the next 30 days for us to be able to meet our goal. Um, I know some of you say we're going to give a certain amount every month or we're going to give a certain amount over the course of the year, but my challenge is is that if you're able, I know for some of us it's, it's a more difficult thing and for some of us it's kind of an easy thing um, to be able to say, well, I can give a big portion of it now just to get that, uh, to make sure the closing happens and, and all of that. The third thing is this, is that if you've already committed to Blueprint, that you would consider maybe increasing your commitment for 2012. Maybe you made a commitment. You said, man, I, was, I made a commitment. I think it's going to be easy to do. And, um, and, I've, and I've talked to some people, um, and you've been honest enough to say, you know, Bob, I'm, I'm committed to Blueprint, but I know once I see something and it's real, that I'm going to really get serious and really get committed. My friends, it doesn't get any more real. It doesn't get any more serious. I mean, we are on the precipice of, of taking this next step that we've been waiting 11 years to do uh, as a church. And so, and then number four is this, is that some of you are here and you haven't committed to Blueprint at all for one reason or another. That today would be the day I would encourage you, and you got a, a commitment form in your, uh, in, in your program, that you say, you know what, I can commit to give over the next 12 months, I can give some over the next 30 days to see this happen and participate. Um, you know, this isn't going to happen based on two or three people. Instead, it's when the whole body of Christ comes together that we're going to see this thing 
become a reality. Because even though all of us cannot give the same amount, we can all give to the same level of sacrifice and participate in this thing that God is doing. Because, my friends, this is the moment. And if I can be so bold as to say, I really believe that for many of us, this is one of the most significant things we will ever do. Because, you know, always, there's vacations and there's cars that we buy and there's homes and remodeling and all that and that's all good and it's all great and we thank God for that. But this moment is something that we will never forget. It's something significant that we have the opportunity to be a part of, that we will be able to... to I just have this thought of driving into that property and pulling up with my kids and my kids asking, um, how, how, how did this happen? And to say, well, you know, Mommy and Poppy, we, we made a sacrifice and, and we partnered with God to do this, to build this building. And that this then becomes a... The building isn't just walls and concrete and drywall. No, no, no. It becomes a standing stone, a memorial to our faith and our commitment to the Lord as to what God was calling us to do and the challenge that we met all of us together. You see, you know, God could have struck that giant dead. He didn't even need David to go into the valley. He could have just called out from heaven and struck him dead. But he didn't. Instead, he decided to partner with this kid that he had prepared. And when he partnered with him, he says, hey, this is the moment. And I'm going to take this teenage kid and turn him into a giant killer and the champion of all of Israel. And my friends, this is the moment that we all have. The moment where we can watch God do and partner with God to do something that is more than we could ask, think, or imagine. Lots of people watching, lots of soldiers standing by, but only one that went into the valley and slayed Goliath. You see, only one that experienced the power, deliverance, and joy of risking it all in service to God. And what he experienced by way of blessing was more than he could have possibly imagined. And my friends, I want us all to experience that. Because my friends, this is our moment where we can become giant killers. Where we can walk into the valley and watch God do more than we ever thought possible. Why? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is with us, who can oppose us? Um, in the book of Romans, I hadn't planned on sharing this. I, let me just share this if I can. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says these words. He says, For I am persuaded that neither the death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, we have the opportunity to do something so amazing. Why? Because He is with us. David said, The God who delivered me from the lion and the bear will also deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And my friends, the God who has taken us this far is going to take us that far if we'll trust Him and take the step together. Let's pray. And Lord, we want to thank You. We want to thank You for answering the prayers of more than a decade as we look to the future, as we look to a home for the purpose of the Gospel going out, of thousands of people coming to know You, being disciples, growing in 
the faith, of marriages being restored, of homes that were going to be broken being made whole, of addictions being broken, of healing going forth in people's lives. God, you want to make that reality and you want to partner with us in the process. So, Lord, we're open. We want to do what you want us to as we take this step together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.